0: Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode four hundred and seventy-four of the Pack a Day podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. You can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Today I'm going to be discussing the Packers 24-16 win over the Carolina Panthers. It was an exciting game. Packers moved to 8-2 on the season. I'm going to be breaking it down for you today. Got a lot of interesting statistics and some interesting things to talk about, so stick with me. I think it's going to be a really fun episode and one where you'll definitely find some some great information and hopefully... But before we break down all the different details and the minutia of this game, as you know that I always enjoy doing and trying to find some underlying statistic or player of the game, things like that. I want to just start by talking about what a fun game that was. This is a snowy Lambeau Field, two potential playoff teams colliding in you know middle of November, and it takes me just a second to kind of step back and and stop looking at some of the details of the game, and you know the the defense maybe allowing you know 400 yards, and looking past some of that to see what some of the weaknesses might be in the future. Of course, you would love for Green Bay to put some points on the board. Before the end of half, Uh, we'll discuss that in much greater detail in just a little bit. But let's just talk about how fun that was. Uh, seeing the Packers being able to run the ball, you had you know Christian McCaffrey and Aaron Jones kind of going back and forth, you had a goal line stand to end the game again. It's snowy Lambeau Field, November playoff type feel. That was just an exciting, fun football game and throw away some of the the missed passes and opportunities on offense, throw away some of the yardage allowed on defense, Uh, some of the unique penalties against both teams, maybe some that were called, some that weren't called. All of that's great stuff to kind of break down, and we're certainly going to do a lot of that today. I'm going to do a lot of that today, but uh, just take a second to enjoy the fact that the Packers are 8-2 and two on the season. Uh, they just won a really exciting, fun football game that you love to see, and uh, I think there's just a lot of positives to take away regardless of, of again, some of those intricate details that we're all going to discuss uh, throughout the course of the week, and I'll be discussing in detail today, but I just want to start off by saying that I think that was a very, very fun game. And that was maybe my biggest takeaway. Uh, it's just fun sometimes to enjoy the game for what it is, a win at home in November in the snow. I know I've kind of said it now, but that that was my takeaway. Uh, there's a lot of things we'll break down, but enjoy that game and enjoy the, the fact that the Packers are eight and two on the season. My other big takeaway I've always wanted to see with this new head coach, uh, Matt LaFleur, and this new offense and all these new players, it's always, it's always uh, good to win, but it's always interesting to see how they're going to respond to adversity. And I talked about it a lot, uh, even before they lost their first game is I wasn't really going to be able to make uh, a ton of judgments about this team and about Matt LaFleur as a coach until they kind of got punched in the mouth for the first time and to see how they would respond. Um, and I think there's always more that you can take away from a team following a loss than than you can during kind of the good points of the season. And they responded to that first loss against the Eagles, by ripping off four straight games going undefeated in the month of October and really playing some impressive football and how then were they going to respond after a, a very ugly loss to the LA Chargers on the road where for a good portion of that game if not almost the entirety of that game the Packers looked completely lifeless on offense lifeless on defense lifeless on special teams and just didn't look like themselves throughout that entire game? How would they come back? And uh, they had one game before the bye week. And it's really easy sometimes for for players uh, to look ahead, just wanting to get out of that game and into the bye week as quickly as possible, get some rest uh, and relaxation, hopefully to recharge the batteries a little bit. Uh, but that all of those things considered all those things together, I wanted to see how they were going to respond to that adversity, especially it was one thing, the Philadelphia Eagles game where they actually played a pretty decent game, but just couldn't get some production in the red zone. Uh, but there were a lot of positive takeaways from that game, even in a loss not so much the case after that Chargers game that was that was an abysmal showing from beginning to end so how do you bounce back from a game like that uh, and they came back and they won and they won a, a really tough home game they they had the goal line stand at the end to to pick up the victory against Carolina an, an NFC win again a, a playoff caliber opponent uh, and I thought that was a really impressive statement uh, to the rest of the league and uh, even maybe to themselves that this is a team that's going to be able to respond from some some adversity and a Of course, once you get to playoff time, it's not like you have that opportunity, you lose your out, Uh, but it was still impressive to see how they responded. And you want to know the, the deciding factor, the determining factor here. They've lost two games this season. What's been their response in those two losses? How have they kind of game planned coming off of those two losses? Well, look no further than Aaron Jones. He has been the focal point of the offense after their two losses. And if you look at his statistics in his games, uh, in the Cowboys game following the Eagles loss, and then in the Panthers game following the Chargers loss, here were his numbers in those two games combined. 32 carries, 200 yards rushing, 7 catches, 75 yards receiving, and 7 touchdowns, seven touchdowns in two games following Packers' losses. It is not a mistake that he has been the focal point of the offense following those losses. Uh, the the talk going into this week, and the talk actually in the post game from a lot of the players, was that the game plan was really to feature the running backs, trying to get them involved in the offense, trying to get that running game going. They did so again today, but make no mistake, following two Packers' losses, I'm just going to read those one more time, 32 carries, 200 yards, 7 catches, 75 yards and seven touchdowns for Aaron Jones following Packers losses. Hopefully they don't have any more games following Packers losses uh, to have Aaron Jones stack those statistics even more. Uh, But that's an impressive showing. He ran fantastic today. And that really transitions me into my MVP. I could just give it to Aaron Jones and he would certainly be more than deserving following his performance today. But I wanna talk about the run offense as a whole. And that goes for the offensive line, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, the receivers blocking, the tight ends blocking, i thought this was a total effort from this offense from a run offense standpoint wasn't always pretty uh, you know from a passing attack and there were certainly aspects of this game uh, take no more than the, the the play before half where you had an opportunity to punch it in and they handed it off and got stuffed and went into half with no points so it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination but 26 carries 156 yards and three touchdowns combined for Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams today uh, and again we've we've entered the period period where this is cold weather football and I thought they set the tone today by rushing the football and getting their running backs involved uh, they outrush Christian McCaffrey in that Panthers offense, uh, so that is my MVP of of the game. is is the the run offense as a whole. You could tell that that was a focal point coming into this game. You can tell their plan was to execute and get that running game going, and they certainly did so throughout the entirety of the game. And I think that was really what set this game apart. I think you know it was a smart game plan, and I think going in, uh, if you would have told uh, anyone that that the Packers offense would outrush the the Panthers offense that that would have been uh, you know a recipe for success and they would have gotten out of that game with the win. That's exactly what they did today. And they not only outrushed uh, the Panthers, but they did in fact get away with that win. So uh, I thought that was, uh, again, an impressive performance all the way around, not just the, the running backs, but the offensive line, the tight ends, the re- receivers. Everyone was involved in that effort. And uh, when they needed it most, they were able to pick up some huge yardage on the ground and again, pick up a victory over the Panthers. Let's continue on with with talking a little bit about the Packers' performance on offense today. While the running backs uh, in the running game was efficient and effective, I didn't necessarily think that this was one of Aaron Rodgers' best games. Uh, looking forward to reviewing the tape a little bit more, but uh, there were a couple plays, and we're gonna discuss that that red zone uh, situation at the end of the half in, in a little bit more detail in just a moment here. But there were two wide open passes for Aaron Rodgers uh, in that in that sequence. Uh, on first down, Alan Lazard was wide open and he completely airmailed it. To be fair, there's there's a chance that he was expecting Lazard to to kind of take that further Towards the back of the end zone, uh, he was pretty close up behind Devonte Adams, who I think they were kind of using as a decoy there. Uh, so it, it's possible that he was expecting Lazard to kind of go a little bit deeper on that. But Rodgers, after the game in his press conference, uh, took that on him. You then had the the completion that was overturned to Jimmy Graham. I actually thought that was a phenomenal throw by Aaron Rodgers. Not a lot of quarterbacks that I think uh, attempt that pass. That's pretty tight coverage. He gets it in there to Jimmy Graham. Unfortunately, Graham couldn't get that second foot down. And then on third down, he comes back, uh, had a wide open Geronimo Allison. I don't think he ever saw Allison. So, it was, you know, it's, it's tough to fault a quarterback if that's the case. I'll, I'll know a little bit more when I see it on the all twenty-two to, to potentially see if if he did see Allison on that play. Uh, I'm assuming if he saw Allison, he's going to throw it because Allison's wide open. But uh, does miss a, a wide open Allison, and eventually that play's incomplete. There are uh, two penalties that get the Packers uh, the ball, you know, at the the one yard line, and of course then they run the ball and. Uh, can't get it in. But uh, again, I, I thought those were a couple passes where Rodgers missed. Uh, there was the near interception in the fourth quarter that could have been a game changer. Uh, it seemed like there was a little bit of a miscommunication there. And then I, I thought that the deep ball to Devontae Adams, that's a tough one, right? He he hits him uh, a little bit in stride. He hits him right in the hands. That's a play that Devontae can make. And it was a good play by the, the Panthers cornerback to kind of break that up. But at the same token, uh, Adams had to slow up for that ball. If if Rogers puts a little bit more on that, and again, I'm not one to make excuses here, and and maybe I'm being hard on Rogers. Maybe I'm I'm giving him uh, a little leeway to get off the hook. You know, you can interpret it how you will. Uh, But those are tough conditions, right? There's some swirling winds. the The snow is blowing at that point in the game, Uh, so that was not an easy throw. You know, I think they were backed up deep in their in their own area at that point, so. Uh, you know, give some accident forgiveness there. And again, he he did hit Devontae right in the hands uh, with some separation between himself and the defender. And the defender made a nice play on the ball and kind of broke it up. But that was another ball where I thought that Rogers could have put just a little bit more mustard on it and let Adams run under it without having to to slow up and give the Panthers defender any opportunity to break up that pass. Uh, but overall, uh, again, I thought this was an okay, uh, solid performance from Rogers. certainly not uh, a losing performance by any, you know, any stretch, but uh, I thought there were a couple plays that Aaron left on the field and in his press conference, he kind of said uh, the same thing after the fact that, you know, he holds himself to a high standard and, uh, you know, he wants to complete some of those passes as well. So uh, not the, not the MVP caliber Rogers performance, but uh, a solid performance again in, in some conditions and certainly good enough to get the Packers out of there with a victory. Devontae Adams uh, had seven catches, 118 yards. He had another play where uh, the the Panthers uh, got past interference on an attempt to Devontae Adams down the field. So this was much more the the Devontae Adams that we were expecting and uh you know he looked healthier this week I don't think he was quite himself against the Chargers uh, but th- this is a, a pretty standard Devontae Adams performance at this point in his career he is so good with his releases off the line of scrimmage still has yet to get a touchdown on the on the season and uh, this goes back to uh his his sophomore campaign uh, where he had eight games in a row if I remember correctly where he didn't score a touchdown to, to start that that season uh, it's been that long this is the second longest drought of his career without a touchdown so still got to find a way to get him uh, his his production in the red zone I have a feeling that's going to come uh, hopefully in bunches to end the season and as they hopefully make a playoff run uh, but uh, still no touchdowns for Adams but a very impressive performance and again for those saying that you know the Packers are trying to force Devonte the ball it's just it's ridiculous he is a very talented star receiver I thought they used him well today and anytime you have the opportunity Opportunity to push the ball downfield to Devontae, you should take that opportunity because more often than not, he has beat his man. He is just that good. And again, another really impressive 7-catch, 118-yard performance for Devontae Adams. But I do want to talk about the rest of that receiver group because I think there's a little cause for concern here. Now, they're 2-1 and one in their last three games. Uh, In the Chiefs game and, and today against the Panthers, I thought they had good offensive production, obviously not so much against the Chargers, but if you look at those secondary receivers after Devontae Adams, these are combined numbers over the course of the last three games. Jake Kummerow in three games, four catches, 71 yards. Alan Lazard, 11 catches, good, but only 113 yards, just a minuscule amount over 10 yards per catch, which isn't great. Uh, Geronimo Allison in three games, six catches, 34 yards, less than six yards per catch. And Mark Wesvelde's Scantling, one catch, four yards in his past three games. Now, I know MVS is banged up. I know Allison's been a little bit banged up here and there. Uh, but no touchdowns for any receiver, even including Devontae Adams over the course of those past three games and not a lot of explosive plays from anyone not named Devontae Adams. And I think that's uh, a cause for concern. Uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, less than 10 yards uh, per catch combined for those four receivers over the course of the last three games and uh, just an underwhelming performance overall. Uh, there's a lot of weapons on this offense, and if you've got a healthy Devontae Adams and Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones kind of doing their thing like they did today, Aaron Rodgers has the ability to spread the ball around. I think Alan Lazard continues to get better, and he seems to be potentially the the number two guy, which is crazy to say, but I think the, the snap counts are going to show that as well this week, uh, but I do think if this wants to be a, an explosive offense going into the playoffs, They've got to find a way to be more consistent. And, you know, I look at guys like Geronimo Allison and Marquez Osvaldo Scantling, seven catches, 38 yards, seven catches, 38 yards over the course of the past three weeks and there's a lot of snaps combined between those two over those three weeks. They've got to find a way to be more productive or you've got to find more snaps for Alan Lazard and Jake Kumro uh, or other weapons on this offense. Maybe more two tight end sets. Maybe you try to get guys like Jay Sternberger more involved. I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, but uh, those secondary receivers have to come up big. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be fairly one-dimensional from a receiver standpoint. Obviously, with uh, you know Devontae Adams and uh, that running game, if, if they can be you know, get going, but uh, there's going to be games where they're going to have to come from behind and they're going to need big games from their receivers and they're going to need better production than what they've gotten over the course of the past three weeks. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. And before I even talk about uh, the defense, I just want to talk about the performance of Kyle Allen for a second. He was 28 of 43, 370 yards, or 307 yards, excuse me, one touchdown, one interception. He also added 12 yards rushing, Maybe I wouldn't be talking about this if, if the Packers were able to hold on to, to some of those interceptions, uh, Jair Alexander being one of those, if that's a pick six at the end of the game. Maybe I'm not talking quite as much about the performance by Kyle Allen, but this was an undrafted free agent just a season ago. Uh, he is continuing to be impressive. I thought he made some really big time throws today. He was elusive. He escaped sacks on multiple occasions uh, from Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark. There was one other one as well that I'm drawing a blank on at the moment, but uh, there were a few different times where he was able to escape pressure, and he really gave them an opportunity to win this game. I came away really impressed. Uh, He reminded me a little bit of Tony Romo, again another undrafted free agent uh, that wasn't thought very highly of. Uh, Kyle Allen uh, caught my eye today, and again, had it been for uh, a couple dropped interceptions, maybe it would have looked like a much uglier performance by him, but. Uh, overall, I was impressed, and I thought he put the the Panthers in a position to win. Uh, couldn't convert down at the end, but uh, he he was somebody who impressed me today. And I, I think if he can continue to improve on, on really what's kind of his uh, red shirt, uh, you know, freshman campaign, if you will, if you kind of think of last year as a uh, just a, a complete red shirt season, and now he kind of gets to be uh, a starter this year. It's been an impressive performance uh, by him throughout the course of the season, and I thought he continued that today. And I thought he gave them again an opportunity. Opportunity to win that football game. But looking at the, the Packers defense, of course, more importantly, this was not a, a vintage Packers defense performance. And uh, another game where they allowed over 400 total yards, some more explosive plays, some more bend but don't break type of defense. This has been a fairly typical day out of the Packers defense. And I think there's things that you can take away and say are, are cause for concern. Again, I think that yardage production is is right up there. Teams have just been way too efficient. They haven't been able to get teams in long third, you know, third down and uh, third and long situations to be able to use some of Mike Patton's pressure packages. But overall, I thought this was a winning performance by the Packers defense. And you can you can nitpick, and you you can certainly have again some of those things that you'd like to bring up, and and some areas where you'd like them to be better. But they had the two big turnovers. They had three sacks. Only 16 points allowed. Again, they they really finished the game with the goal line stand to win the game at the end. Overall, you you kind of add all that up, and I think that's that's a winning performance. And uh, this is this is the NFL you know, teams are very well versed on, on how to move the football. And this is a, a point production driven league. And today the, the Packers held the Panthers to 16 points. And that was a huge reason that they were able to to, to come away with a victory. They had the big interception in the end zone by Tremon Williams, which took points off the board. Uh, again, being able to hold on the, the Panthers two point conversion attempt on the touchdown in the second half, being able to hold, uh, so that they don't score at the end of the game to have an opportunity to tie it with another two point conversion attempt. Again, some things you'd like to see different, but I, I thought overall that they played, uh, well enough to win the football game. And again, that's exactly what they did, I thought Kenny Clark had a really strong game. Would have liked to have seen him finish a couple of those sack opportunities, but uh, I thought he was consistent not only as a pass rusher, but as a run defender as well. Adrian Amos, another player that stuck out on defense, would have loved to see Jair Alexander come up with that interception and take that to the house for a variety of different reasons. Obviously, that takes some of the drama off of the game, but you just love to see the the defense come up with those plays when they have they have the opportunity. And that's really kind of the next step for Jair Alexander, if, you know, to become that that superstar, you know, defensive back. Right now, he's he's really good. Um, I'm not sure I would necessarily even consider him a a great, you know, defender, like a a true great number one. I think early in the season, there was maybe some talk that he had all pro potential or that he was maybe one of the top five corners in the league. I haven't seen that. I I think he's still giving up some plays a little bit too consistently to be, to be in that level quite yet, but he's obviously a, a really good young player and a cornerstone of this Packers team and a cornerstone of the Packers defense. I guess what I'm trying to say is he's obviously tremendously talented. He's obviously gifted with a ton of ability, but to get to that that next upper echelon of corner corners, if he really wants to be one of the greats, it's plays like that that he has to convert and uh, not only you know break up the paths, but you know have the opportunity to take that pick six, bring it to the house, and be that playmaking corner. That's that's the next step for for Jair Alexander. Uh, But again, overall, I thought this was a winning performance. And, uh, you know, the the defense will be able to look back at the tape, see some of the reasons they gave up, uh, you know, 400 total yards. Christian McCaffrey had a nice game, you know, he had over 100 yards, but I think, you know, Green Bay will take what they got out of their defense in trying to contain who, you know, who I think is the the best running back in the game right now and somebody who I compared to Marshall Faulk in his prime. He can beat you in so many different ways and I thought for the most part, you know, Green Bay did a good job containing him and uh that's a win in and of itself. I know he had the touchdown over 100 yards, but McCaffrey's going to get his and I thought they limited him as best as possible, especially when you consider how much they've struggled against running backs like that over the course of this season so far. All right, let's take a look at the 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 point in the game that I don't know that anyone really wants to discuss, but I think it's an important conversation nonetheless. And that's the sequence at the end of the first half where they did not get uh, any point production. Uh, they had the ball first and goal. Uh, they had the opportunity to you know maybe score seven or three at the end of the half. They were set to get the ball back to start the second half. They were up by four points at the time. If you kind of go through the sequence on first down, uh, Rodgers overthrows Alan Lazard. Uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, then you had the Jimmy Graham play where that got reversed. Uh, couldn't get both feet down in the back of the area, I guess in the corner of the end zone. Uh, then missed Geronimo Allison. He, I don't think he saw him on that play. And then you had the the run stuff and a couple things that I want to go over here first of all, to a T, everyone in that locker room that I talked to, or at least overheard uh, in the locker room today, they were all happy with the call. They, they wanted to go for it there. They liked the fact that, you know, their coach trusted them to execute and everyone to a T, especially Aaron Jones uh, and uh, Brian Bulaga both made mention of, and Aaron Rodgers did in his, you know, press conference as well. That's an execution issue. You know, they didn't execute uh, and, uh, you know, go out and, and, you know, pay off their coach's decision to go for it in that situation and try to get the touchdown. It wasn't uh, necessarily the wrong idea, wasn't necessarily the wrong call, uh, but there was definitely a lack of execution there. And uh, But the the players to a T wanted that opportunity and wanted to go out and have an opportunity to put seven on the board there. And, and I think there's, you know, whether or not you think the Packers should take points there or not. If if you were happy a few weeks back when when Matt Lafleur you know said all gas no effing break if, if you were happy with that um, and you were excited about that th- this is just another example and sometimes when you're all gas no break and you're aggressive and you're going after points things like this are gonna happen but if the if the goal is to be aggressive and you want to continue with that being your mo throughout the the remainder of the season then you're going to have some situations like this where you know, you're know you aggressive and uh, you you go for the touchdown and you end up with no points instead of getting three at the end of the half. Personally, there were a couple things that I didn't like about this. Uh, the first and the biggest transgression to me here was not having either Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones on the field. And it's not that I don't trust Jamal Williams uh, in that situation. In fact, I think you can make an argument that Jamal Williams is kind of your, your power back there. Although I, I would also make an argument that I think Aaron Jones has been better in short-yarded situations than Williams. But either way, I don't necessarily have an issue with Jamal Williams being on the field there. But I think in that situation, you're, you, you have one play. You have one play, right? You want your two biggest playmakers on the field. And that's Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. And I think you're doing the defense a favor by not having either of them on the field. I know if I'm a defensive coordinator and you say you have one play and it's either going to be touchdown Packers or you're going to hold, and I see Aaron Jones and, and Devontae Adams on the sideline, I'm celebrating. And I think the other thing that I'll say there is, to me, this is a tell. This is a tell that it's a run. Now, you maybe they have something in mind, right? Maybe you want to give the impression that it's a run play, so that they they bite hard on the run, and that you're gonna go play action and, and find Alan Lazard or or a you know a, a tight end somewhere that's open on the play. A couple of those things absolutely could have happened, but if I'm a defensive coordinator and if I'm a defensive player, not having Adams and Jones on the field and going with a power running back and Alan Lazard, their best blocking receiver to me, again, that that's a tell to say that this is going to be a running play because think about this logically, right? If, if I'm uh, Matt LaFleur and I'm calling a play, that's going to be a pass, there is no chance. And I mean, zero chance that I'm not going to have Devonte Adams on the field. And again, it, it could be some sort of trick play or play action or trying to get the defense to think that, but it, in all actuality, if, if you're going to pass the ball, almost for sure you're going to have Adams and probably even Jones out on the field in that scenario. So I felt like having the three tight ends, having, uh you know, having uh, Alan Lazard and, and Jamal Williams in that situation was basically telling the defense that you're going to run the football in that situation. And if you kind of go back after the game, You know, I don't think it was in this specific situation that Gerald McCoy is talking about here, but he said that he saw a key on that play that told them that it was going to be a runner. That he knew what was going to be coming. He was able to shoot his gap and, and make the big tackle in the backfield. So maybe that was, you know, not having you know one of the receivers on the field, or maybe that was a way that the Packers were aligned. Either way, they didn't execute. I wasn't a huge fan of the play call. I wasn't a huge fan of the alignment. I wasn't a huge fan of the personnel that they had on the field. I don't mind them again going for the the touchdown there and being aggressive and saying to your team, "Hey, we're going to get this yard." Uh, I just think they could have managed a few of those uh, situation, you know, personnel and, and play call and things like that a little bit better. And then I guess the other thing I'll say is this, and again, I want to say it with the the caveat that I don't mind the fact that they went for seven. And there's a lot of situations there where I really like them going for the touchdown, This is probably one of the few situations where I don't like them going for the touchdown and and, and I'd rather take the points. And the situation there is that you're up by four points, you're going into halftime, you're up by four points already, I should say, you're going into halftime and you get the ball to start the second half. And I think a field goal there, even though there's a little bit of a letdown because you didn't get a touchdown, I think a field goal there continues your momentum going into halftime. And the other thing I'll say is I... I always want to be up by a touchdown whenever I can be uh, because I can't Usually get beat. You you know most times other teams, uh, if they you know score the the tie and play, they're going to kick the extra point and, and not go for two. Obviously in that situation, so if you're up by seven, you're you're pretty much always in a situation where you're not going to get beat by the next score at any point for the remainder of the game. If you're up by four, you're, of course you, you know opposing team scores a touchdown, you're automatically going to be losing. So I, I think kicking that field goal, going up seven, basically guaranteeing that the, the Panthers are going to have to score. Or probably two more times in order to beat you. Uh, And then again, continuing that momentum and then getting the ball to start the second half to hopefully increase that point production. Uh, I think those are the reasons why I would have preferred the points in that situation. Uh, So that's my take on it. I would have taken the field goal. uh, And if I wasn't going to take the field goal, I was definitely going to have Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams on the field at the same time. These are all situations that are happening in in milliseconds (laughs) and in split, uh, you know, split decision or split second decisions. So it's easy to second guess on hindsight, but those are, those are the, the differences, I guess, have, of how I would have managed that situation. Not, I guess, that it necessarily matters, uh, but uh, I think those are some things at least that they can look at going forward if if that's what they would like to do in that situation. But again, to a T, the players wanted to go for it in that situation. Again, I don't mind that they, they wanted to be aggressive there. I like the fact that Matt LaFleur is an aggressive uh, coach and is going for it in those situations. I uh, just think that they could have managed some aspects of that a little bit differently and a little bit concerning that, uh, there's been a few different games now where they've had opportunities to, to put points on the board at the goal line and, and they haven't been able to do so. Been a little bit of a trend now, so that's definitely something that they're going to have to work on going forward. All right, a couple other things that I want to go over here. Uh, I want to go over that two point conversion by the Carolina Panthers because that had a lot of people talking. Uh, Just to kind of bring you back, you know, Packers were up by 14. The Panthers score the touchdown with 11.58 remaining in the fourth quarter, and they decide to go for two on the play. Now, uh, on the surface, this probably looks like not such a, a great idea. Now you miss the two-point conversion and you're down eight points and you have to convert a, a two-point conversion later uh, in order to tie the game. So the optics on it aren't great, especially when you, you miss the two-point conversion. Optics, not great. The analytics, quite the opposite. The analytics would say that that's absolutely uh, the way that you should go in that situation. I guess the way that I look at it is, is this with 1158 in the game remaining, you were just down by two touchdowns. You're on the road, you're playing Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the snow at Lambeau field. The, the odds at that point, again, when you were down by 14, that you're, you're coming back to win that game. Probably aren't that great. And the way that I handle that situation or would handle that situation is to say uh, a little bit to the extent of you're kind of playing with house money at that point. And uh, I'm going to talk about it in this way first, and then I'll get in a little bit to the analytics. But th- the way that I look at it is it- you have the opportunity to put two points on the board there. And if you do, that's probably the lone opportunity that you get to leave Lambeau with a win without having to go to overtime, which I don't think is necessarily advantageous to the road team either. So what what is kind of going through in the thought process there is you have the opportunity to get the two-point conversion. You're only down by six points. And now if you score next time, you have the opportunity to kick the extra point for the win. So there's a level that makes sense there. Um, also from an analytics standpoint, uh, I, I think if you look at it from that, that same kind of regard, the, there's a 47.5% chance that you make a two point conversion based off of statistics with, with two point conversions, uh, in the league, since it's been in existence, that's basically a 50-50 proposition. So if you have two two two-point conversions, the odds are that you're going to get one of them. If you get the front end of it, you don't need the second one. And again, you may have the opportunity to kick an extra point for a win. If you don't get the first one, odds are you may still get that second one or have a good opportunity to get that second one. Even if it's still a coin flip chance, it's not the worst uh, analytic idea in the world to go for it in that order in that specific situation. Um, other things at play there. Uh, extra points, not probably a gimme in that situation. The, the The kicking conditions were not great, so you know a normal extra point. You know uh, odds are, are about ninety two to ninety three percent to make it. You know, in that situation, let's say it's 85, 80% uh, to make it with, with those type of kicking conditions. Uh, in that situation, the, the analytics would much, much, much be in favor of uh, of going for two in that situation. So I know the optics don't look good. I know the, the old-fashioned football fan says kick the extra point and, uh, you know, not put yourself in a situation to have to go for two later in the game. Uh, again, if I'm down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter in a snowy Lambo with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Uh, I, again, I kind of feel like I'm playing with house money a little bit. I'm going to go for two, hope to get it. Hope, hopefully that maybe I can get out of there with uh, a win in regulation by a point, a last second extra point maybe. But um, don't mind the the situation or circumstance from Riverboat Ron there, but it uh, didn't work out. And uh, I think it took a little bit of pressure off the Packers defense knowing that you know a couple things one if they do allow a touchdown they still have an opportunity to win the game if they can stop the two-point conversion attempt and even then if they get the two-point you still have overtime where you can still win the game so uh, Green Bay had a lot of outs sorry to use all the the gambling references here but uh, had a lot of outs uh, in that last drive Carolina would have had to score the touchdown score the two-point conversion and then somehow still come in overtime and and win the game Uh, they were definitely behind the eight ball in that situation but uh, I think it uh, you know the fact that they were down by two points probably allowed Green Bay to to be a little bit more uh, lax in that situation I should say that the fact that they needed the additional two- point conversion um, and then I think if you look at it on the flip side had that only been, a six-point game, I think that really would have ratcheted up the pressure uh, for the Packers defense in that situation, uh, where if they would have allowed a touchdown, they basically would have lost the game. Uh, Matt LaFleur would have had to look at, you know, at how he used those timeouts uh, a little bit differently to try to leave his team some time on the clock should Carolina score the touchdown and get the lead. So the, the whole game really changed on that two-point conversion. Uh, good job on the Packers defense for for you know holding and not allowing the two points. And again, I, I do definitely I think that made that uh, that last drive a little bit easier for the Packers defense without quite as much pressure. Again, knowing that they had a few different outs, uh, even if they did allow the touchdown somehow on that last drive. All right, taking a look at some injuries from the game. Uh, only two that I know of, uh, I apologize if I missed any, but the only two that I had uh, seen or had heard of were Ty Summers and uh, Traymond Smith both left the game with concussions and did not return. Um, Robert Tanyan didn't play in the game uh, due to injury. He was doubtful going in and was an active uh, for the game. But if that's it, if the Packers go into their bye week, going in at eight and two, and the only three players, uh, at least on the active roster, not including the guys on IR or things like that, if the only three players that uh, you know have any potential injury are Ty Summers and Tremont Smith with concussions and Robert Tanyan, who was even doubtful going into this week and was starting to recover and practice a little bit more, uh, they are going in insanely healthy uh, into the bye week and, and getting ready to play that last stretch. So, I know people want to talk about all the time some of the the soft tissue injuries that the the Packers have had and the hamstrings and the groins and all of those sorts of things, and they've wanted to give the uh, the training staff and the you know the whole group that the doctors and medical staff you know a hard time because the the Packers have so many injuries. Well, uh, they've done a really fantastic job of navigating the injury bug so far this year. And uh, again, there's six regular season games left, so uh, a lot of time. Hopefully, they can stay that way. And it's not to say they haven't had some injuries that have you know affected this team along the way, but uh, for the most part, I think they're they they've got to be ecstatic that they're going. Into the bye week with as few of injuries as they have. A couple other quick topics for today. Um, I did want to touch base on David Bakhtiari. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm surprising anyone by saying that you know David Bakhtiari hasn't played up to his usual level so far this year. Uh, if you read my grades on Packer Report, he's he's way down. You know, from what he would normally be over the course of his past couple of years when he's been uh, in all in all pro you know caliber player. And uh, it, it's tough to say exactly what's going on. He had uh, some pressures allowed today. He had a, another penalty. Uh, just hasn't totally looked like himself on the the goal line play. Uh, you know, he was a little late. You know, I think Gerald McCoy got a great jump on that, but uh, I think, you know, David Bakhtari would probably tell you that he'd like to execute that a little bit better. I, I just think that, uh, you know, there's been, there's been something that's been a little bit off with him. And I, I think when you are a, uh, potential, you know, playoff caliber team with the ability to maybe make a run. You really need your best players playing at their highest level, and and so far David Bakhtiari ha- has not been that. And I want to be very clear here in saying that David Bakhtiari has not been bad. He has been a good left tackle and above average left tackle that uh, is still more often than not getting the job done. But when you go from an all-pro left tackle who you basically can plug in there and just expect no pressure from, uh, to somebody that is allowing you know some pressures on a week by week basis, there's definitely a change there. And uh, again, I know David Bakhtiari had the the back injury earlier this year. I'm not sure if that's something that uh, is still bothering him. I do know, and I said this coming into the year that that David Bakhtiari struggles. With a pure power bull rush, and that that was something that that was kind of his kryptonite. Now, even when he did struggle with that, he had the ability to kind of anchor and and always keep himself between Aaron Rodgers uh, and uh, you know the the defensive lineman or edge rusher that he was facing. You, you kind of look at it this year, and he he hasn't always done that. He he's allowed some more pressure, and a part of me wonders if because he's allowed so many pressures from a, from a bull rush standpoint, if he's not trying to maybe overcompensate for that a little bit. And now he's getting beat, you know, with some speed rushes and some counter moves, which is really uncharacteristic of him. So, uh, he's going to have a bye week. Hopefully he can kind of get his legs under him. Maybe his back can heal up a little bit, whatever it may be that may or may not be bothering him. Again, it's tough to say. Uh, but, uh, I think you really obviously want David Bakhtiari playing at that, that all pro level caliber. He is not yet to this point. And uh, hopefully he can bounce back through the remainder of the season and get back to playing that way uh, for the remainder of the season and and going into the playoffs. Uh, Jay Sternberger and Ibrahim Campbell, there were a couple players that I was keeping an eye on today to see how those two players were going to be used. Sternberger was in his second game back, but this was uh, Ibrahim Campbell's first game back. Uh, Both of these players saw significant snaps. There was a a couple plays where Sternberger was the lone tight end on offense um, and was involved heavily, obviously, in their three tight end sets. There's only three tight ends that were active, so he was always going to be in on those. But uh, he saw a good dosage in those type of plays, even saw some play in some two tight end sets. Thought he uh, run blocked well at at first glance, Uh, had a couple of good pass protections as well didn't get involved in the passing game, but I think that's something that will come naturally to him moving forward. And uh, I'm really excited to see what steps he takes, you know, now that he's getting some first real playing time. I think he has the ability to be a player who can stretch the middle of that field and that seam a little bit, which is something that Green Bay can use. Uh, so uh, I think that's a, a really solid step in the right direction. And it's, it's fair to say, and I guess We should say maybe it'll depend on what happens when Robert Tanyan comes back from injury to see if he supplants Sternberger as that number three tight end or if Sternberger stays in that role. Uh, That'll be something to keep an eye on. But uh, assuming that this is Sternberger's role going forward, it's safe to say that he has a role and this is not just gonna be a redshirt season for him where he gets a handful of snaps through the remainder of the year. They've got some packages and some plays where they wanna get him involved. And I think that's gonna pay off as the year goes on. Ibrahim Campbell, meanwhile, basically just flat out took over that that nickel linebacker role, playing next to Blake Martinez in the nickel and dime uh, situation. So he is he's back. He's going to play some serious snaps. I thought he looked a little rusty at times. Not carrying his receiver across the field and zone he missed the tackle uh, but overall uh, I, I think he had a, a decent game and I think he's gonna be able to take a lot away from that first game back and uh, I think Green Bay's got to be really excited that they have him back in the fold uh, you know again going into this this stretch run um, it's a little bit unfortunate that this was kind of at the uh, expense of Chandon Sullivan's playing time uh, I'll, I'll have to go back and look to see if he got any snaps I don't I don't recall off the top of my head seeing him out there, but there's certainly some potential in some dime situations he got out there, and I just missed it. Uh, but uh, it definitely seemed like, in you know, from a nickel standpoint, uh, they they moved Amos back to kind of that full-time safety role, and and Ibrahim Campbell was was playing right next to Blake Martinez. So if your your question going in was how are they going to use Campbell and Sternberger, uh, like it was for me, it, it certainly seems like both of them have a major role with this team going forward. I think that kind of does it for me covering the game today, but uh, I do want to quickly look at the NFC North. Uh, Vikings beat the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football to move to 7-3. and three. Uh, The Bears beat the Matthew Stafford-less Lions. Uh, Bears move to 4-5. and five. The Lions go to 3-5-1. and one. And of course, your Green Bay Packers are on top of the division at 8-2. and two. Uh, Seems to be shaking out, certainly, to uh, Packers-Vikings, and uh, the, the Packers have a... You know the lead there they haven't lost any games in the division they've they've beaten the vikings once already plus they have a game up on the vikings so everything is in front of them as as far as the that goes with with controlling their fate and Winning the division, but uh, the Vikings have been playing some good football. They get a win on the road against the Cowboys, and uh, they're not going to be an easy out as as Green Bay goes to Minnesota later in the season. What is looming as a potentially very, very tough, uh, very important game as the season goes on? That could be the difference between a a first round bye and you know, uh, you know, being on the road to start the season. It could be that significant. So. Packers-Vikings, it seems like, will be the determining factor uh, to see who wins this division. Uh, Bears and Lions, certainly not out of it yet, but the, I know the Bears won, but this was a little bit of an uninspiring performance again from their offense. Uh, it started really slow. They put up some points in the third quarter. Uh, Lions, I thought, fought well without Matthew Stafford at quarterback. I still think that the Bears, especially after watching that game, are the, the fourth best team in the division. Um, and again, your your Green Bay Packers remain first on the season, so kudos to them. Taking a look at the updated playoff standings, uh, if you kind of take a look at those, uh, the 49ers are your current number one seed. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are number two, the Saints at three, the Cowboys at four, the Seahawks at five, and the Vikings at six. So I mean, talk about a tough division. I mean, imagine a first round that would show the Seahawks go to Dallas and the Vikings go to New Orleans. This is just why a buy is so important. Uh, I, I, there are six insanely tough teams, and that doesn't even include teams like Carolina, teams like the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, there are some really good teams. The The Rams, who I know are struggling right now. Uh, the NFC is pretty stacked at the moment, and uh, that that playoff group is going to be a murderer's row of, of teams that you're going to have to face. And you really are going to want that first round bye. So Packers have everything ahead of them. Uh, they will go into San Francisco in two weeks coming off their bye. Uh, save for the Seahawks winning the next two weeks and the, the 49ers losing their next two games. Uh, that game will be for uh, you know number one versus number two uh, when that game is played in the NFC, I should say. So a really exciting game. Green Bay will come off a of bye. And kind of the good news for Green Bay is the, the 49ers have two games, uh, of course, between now and then, including one on Monday Night Football, uh, probably tonight as you're listening to this. And then uh, again, another game next week before they play the Packers next. So Packers will be well rested uh, while the the 49ers will have played three games in 13 days. So that should give the Packers a nice advantage even though they're going on a West Coast trip to San Francisco. All right, exciting day. Packers move to eight and two. I think that does it for me. Make sure to check in tomorrow as Matt, Matt, Dan, and Janelle have you covered for more thoughts on this game. And we've got a lot of really exciting bye week features coming up as well. If you haven't yet, please make sure to give us a follow and a like wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We really appreciate it. It means a ton to us. You can also go out and support us uh, if you feel so uh, inclined to do so. Uh, On our Twitter page, there is a link to be able to support us financially. Uh, That is something that we really appreciate. So if you have the means to do so and you're a big fan of the podcast, uh, we thank you. Uh, If you are not in an opportunity to do so, uh, we just really appreciate you listening and uh, supporting us in that regards. Uh, Again, this is a labor of love for us. Uh, Everyone on the the podcast does a tremendous job and, and we can't thank you enough for being a part of this with us. The Packers are 8-2. They are guaranteed to not have a losing record. What a fun thought that is. I will leave you with that today and bid you adieu. Until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!